Well, before I launch into the message this evening, I want to give some credit. Because after I spent some time reading, studying, and praying about our scripture verses today, uh, I took some time to listen to a sermon on these verses uh, by Tim Keller and uh, read part of a book called Christ Our Mediator by C.J. Mahaney. And uh, between these two men, they captured extremely well the thoughts I was having uh, concerning this message. So uh, um, I draw on their material much tonight, so I want to give them credit because it's not me. Uh, I highly recommend both of these resources to you. And uh, if you're interested, after we're done, I can give you some more information on them. Well, let's start this time with a review of the events that have brought us to the point in our story that our scriptures tonight will cover. So last Sunday, when we were last together, was Palm Sunday. On that day, Jesus rides into town on a donkey with the people saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Then on Monday, Jesus returns to town. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise. On Tuesday, they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Well, as they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven... He will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he spent the rest of the day teaching through many amazing parables. On Wednesday, then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. 
But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to to betray him. And that brings us to this evening. Earlier in the day, Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper in the upper room with his disciples, which we will celebrate together in just a little bit. But now let's turn to our scripture verse in Matthew chapter 26, right where Richard had left off in verse 36. Please read along with me. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. May God bless the reading of his word. What struck me as I read these verses is the dramatic change we see in Jesus. As we think about the stories of Jesus' ministry, we saw a man in authority, Assured of himself and fearless, he healed sickness and forgave sin. With outstretched arms, he cast out demons and raised the dead with power. He walked confidently across the surface of a wave-tossed sea on a stormy night. He fed thousands on a grassy hillside. He stood up to the religious establishment and confronted their hypocrisy, chasing them from the, table, from the temple with a whip. But now he tells Peter, James, and John, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Even to death. This is no hyperbole Jesus is saying here. He is experiencing a crushing, overwhelming sense 
of horror and agony so powerful that he actually feels like he is dying in his human experience. So horrific that after going just a short distance further into the garden, he staggers to the ground, unable to remain in an upright position. Luke tells us, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. So the question is, why are we saying Jesus like this now? What was happening couldn't be because he was seeing some new revelation about what was going to happen to him. He knew he was going to die, and he knew how he was going to die. He had been telling the disciples for weeks what was going to happen to him. The difference was that Jesus was beginning to confront, as never before, the ultimate and deepest agony of what he was going to experience on Calvary. An agony that would go infinitely beyond his physical suffering. He was beginning to confront the cup, which he mentions three times as he prays here. The Bible and commentators tell us that the cup is the wrath of God on human evil. In Ezekiel 23, it is a cup of horror and desolation. Isaiah calls it the cup of his wrath, the cup of staggering. And Psalm 16 tells us fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. It is like all the fury of Mount St. Helens eruption concentrated in a coffee cup. No wonder when Jesus stares into this detestable cup, he staggers and falls to the ground. What Jesus is reacting to is not the anticipation of the physical pain that he will experience associated with his crucifixion. Rather, he is beginning to experience the agony of being abandoned by his father. As one Bible commentator notes, the dreadful sorrow and anxiety then, out of which the prayer for passing of the cup springs, is not an expression of fear before a dark destiny, nor a shrinking from the prospect of physical suffering and death. It is rather the horror of one who lives wholly for the Father and who came to be with the Father for an interlude before his betrayal but found hell rather than heaven open before him. We hear him cry out, Father, is there another way? Is there any way to avoid this? And the answer is silence. A second time, a third time, he pleads for an alternative. If one had existed, surely the Father would have provided it. But the obedient son's plea is only met with silence. Why? Well, listen to this familiar verse in light of the garden. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, he is silent when his son pleads for an alternative. Friends, Christ is not the only one in the garden that night. We are there too, represented by Peter, James, and John. Having left the rest of the disciples at the outer edge of the garden, Jesus has brought his closest friends to be near him in his greatest hour of need. These are the men that Richard read just minutes ago had said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Jesus has never asked them for anything and just doesn't want to face his greatest test alone. He simply asks them, remain here and watch with me. Watch and pray with me. And what do they do? What do they do when the person who washed their feet, the person who they recognize as the Messiah himself, the person who has taught them and served them and led them, asks them a simple thing. Watch and pray with me. Three times, they just fall asleep. So here's the picture. God the Father sits next to his son and says, here's the poison cup that I'll ask you to drink. There's the furnace I'm asking you to jump into. And here are the people you'll have to bear this for, sound asleep in your time of need. Do you love them enough? Do you love them enough? And what is his response? Not as I will, Father, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. Jesus says, I love them enough, and I'm willing to drink this cup by your command. I'll drink it all. And he will. He'll drink all of it, leaving not a drop. In this act, Jesus fulfills what he called the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' obedience is matchless. In other times in Scripture, God says, Obey and you shall live. Obedience results in positive rewards. But here he says to the Son, Obey me and I will send you through hell. Sin began in a garden. And now salvation is coming in a garden. Sin began 
when the first Adam disobeyed God about a tree. And now salvation is coming when the second Adam obeys God about a tree. The first Adam was told, obey and you will live. The second Adam was told, obey me about the tree and I'll nail you to it and destroy you. Friends, this is our Savior. One who is matchless in all the universe. One whose love for us is so great that not even the entirety of hell could break it. How can we doubt and not believe that he has our greatest interests at heart and so trust him unconditionally with our lives? Do you really think after bearing all of this, there's anything that we can do that would make him say, you did what? Well, I'm not bearing that for you. It won't happen. Jesus drank from the cup. He drank from a cup that he didn't deserve. It was our cup. It was my cup. In return, he gave us his cup, the cup of salvation. Friends, I pray today that you trust in him, that you believe in him. And as we continue in our worship tonight and we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that you remember the cup that he drank for us. And I pray that you have drank it from his cup. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, just the depth of your love for us is so, so hard to understand. We are so unworthy of it. We so fall asleep in life and forget that you are our greatest friend and forget the greatness of what you have done for us. And Lord, I just pray as we continue in our worship of you this evening through song and through celebration of the Lord's Supper that you instituted with your disciples. Lord, I pray that as we continue these next few days to celebrate the rest of this week, Lord, just pray that even on Sunday, when we are so overjoyed that you rose from the grave, Lord, that we don't lose sight of the cup that you drank for us. That's how horrific it was. And just praise you and thank you that we don't have to do it. Lord, I just pray these things in your matchless name. Amen.